one of the things that I love about the Christmas season are, are all the little traditions that surround it, the family traditions, the kind of unique things that you do. Anybody with me? Like four of you? <laughs> the, the, the cold, foggy morning has us down, right? Uh, but no, there's, there's so many fun, unique traditions that happen around Christmas. And what, what I've learned is they're, they're unique from family to family. Because there were things that I thought were normal that everything did on, that every family did on Christmas that as I talked to other people, they're like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Our family does it different. And it's kind of a unique reflection of who you are, of your family, of the, the way your family interacts. And what I've learned is that some of these traditions are intentionally cultivated, and some of these traditions, they just sort of happen over time and nobody's really sure why they happen. So for our family, for instance, every Christmas morning, my family growing up, um, we always had mom's egg bake for Christmas breakfast, and it's so good. But we also, for Christmas breakfast, had orange Danish from the tube, you know, like that frozen dough that explodes open. And it's like a cinnamon roll, but with orange glaze. And we always did it. And finally, two years ago, somebody was like, who, who likes these in our family? And we realized that nobody really even likes these weird orange pastries, but we always have them. And if, if we don't get them, we're looking at my mom and dad like, what, do you hate Christmas now? Like, you didn't buy these orange things that we don't eat, but we have to have them. Another tradition for my family growing up revolved around the, the giving and receiving of gifts. And my mom is like the most gentle, like meek, loving person. Like there's so much about her I aspire to be. And she loves Christmas and she loves surprising her kids with like something that they've hoped for, right? She loves that, that joy, that light that comes on a kid's face when we were growing up, when we got that thing that we wanted. The problem was my brothers and I, our Christmas tradition was to conquer Christmas. There was no gift under that tree that we would not know ahead of time before Christmas morning, right? And I'm not just talking like shaking the gifts, you know, feeling them. Uh, we had a sort of Christmas mafia set up, right? Now, what would happen is uh, my mom would, she'd be out with me or out with one of my brothers, and she might see something that she wanted to get us for Christmas. So she would, with us in her presence, she would like, when I'm with her, she'd shop for my older brother. So of course I came home and I would go to my brother and I'd say, I've got an offer you can't refuse. I'm going to slide it across the table. On this piece of paper is a gift that you're getting for Christmas. What I'd like you to do is write my gift and slide it back across the table, right? We were going to figure it out. And so this led to like elaborate things where my parents would, one year it was, we all had a different patterned wrapping paper, like that would throw us off. We solved it quick. The next year they actually had this coded number system that only my mom had the answer key to. And I'm assuming she kept it locked in the bank lockbox until Christmas Eve. But my brothers and I, we were, we were determined to figure it out. And it got so bad that one Christmas in the early 90s, my brother wanted a disc man, right? You know what that is? Portable CD player back before iPhones and MP3 players, all that stuff. And, and this was the thing he wanted. So my parents, I figured out that they got it for him. And they got him three CDs that they wrapped like a triangle to hide the fact that they were CDs. We were onto that so fast. So my brother comes up to me, taps me on the shoulder. He goes, you're the lookout. I said, what? He goes, you're the lookout. Follow me. He grabs those three CDs and we go up to his room. And in, in my like, little 10-year-old mind, there's an array of surgical instruments, right? And he proceeds to unwrap these three CDs. And he takes them out and he records them off on cassette tape, right? This is how bad it got. And this is how early 90s it was, cassette tapes. Like, what's that anymore, right? So we recorded them off on cassette tape. And for three weeks leading up to Christmas, he's listening to this music my parents bought him. So the problem is Christmas morning, my mom's like, oh, they're going to be so surprised. My brother's like, yep, listen to him. 
And it totally like took the air and the joy out of Christmas because my brothers and I, we, we couldn't receive well. We didn't have this, this attitude and this disposition of receptivity. We were going to conquer it. And, and the sad part about that is so much about the season of Advent and so much about the season of Christmas is about what it is to have a heart and a spirit of receptivity. John 3.16, you heard it in the reading, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so, so much of this Advent season is anticipating his coming and learning how to receive that. But so many of us, like my brothers and I, we don't have an attitude of receptivity. And and we're going to talk about some roadblocks to receptivity this morning and why that might be. But in this series, we've been talking about how traditions can be helpful or hurtful. And last week, Pastor Steve talked about the importance of remembering and how remembering can help us... um, and traditions can help us remember and encounter God's truth. This week, we're going to transition from remembrance to receptivity. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that traditions can be helpful when they enable us to receive the ongoing work that God wants to do in our life. So when we talk about remembering that Steve talked about last week, remembrance is all about recalling and reflecting on what God has done. So in Advent, we reflect on the reality that God has sent his son, that that, that he did die on the cross, that he accomplished these things for us. We're remembering what God has done in the past. Receptivity recognizes that the God who's been at work in the past is still at work in the present and that there's an ongoing work of transformation that God wants to unfold in our lives. And the question for us is during this season of Advent, can we receive this work that God wants to do? And I think receptivity is all about an openness of heart and life to receive this ongoing work that God wants to do. And that's what I want us to wrestle with this morning. As you think about your life, as you reflect on the season that you were in, would you say you were in a place of receptivity where your heart and life are open to God, ready to receive the work and the word that he would speak to you? And when I talk about receptivity, I don't just mean like nodding passively or saying, yeah, 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 God's got a good word. When, when I talk about receptivity, the key to receptivity is that to really receive God's work and God's word, to receive it well, is, is to respond with obedience. Receptivity to the work that God is doing requires an ongoing spa, response from us of obedience. It means that as God pours his, his word into our life, as we encounter his grace, that we are ready and willing to pour our lives into him and say, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. And again, in the Advent reading this morning, you, you heard Charlotte talk about Mary. And I think Mary is a great example of this idea of what it is to have a heart and life that are open and ready to receive the work and the word of God. If you read Luke chapter 1, There's this moment where Mary is, uh, we can imagine, going about her day. She's just in the routine of life. And we know that she's betrothed to be married to Joseph. And so you can imagine as she's going through the routine as, as a young woman, probably around the age of 16, that she's excited about her life to come. She's maybe thinking about, uh, you know, the, the life that she and Joseph will build together, the kids they might have. She's imagining what it will be like for Joseph to have his carpentry business and, and what her role will be like and what their marriage is going to look like. And she's probably excited and anticipating the future. And in this one moment in Luke chapter one, an angel appears to her and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. Mary's like, oh, what's this? Right? She's, it says she's troubled and wonders, what, what kind of a greeting is this? And the angel tells her, Mary, you are going to give birth to a son. 
Now, the problem is Mary's a virgin. She's never been with a man, and she tells the angel, I don't, I don't know how this is going to be. I, I've never been with a man. It's not, it's not biologically possible. And the angel tells her, the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the one to be born to you is going to be the Son of God. And so there's this word of God that the angel brings to her, and the question is, how will Mary receive this? And, and this isn't, it's miraculous, yes, but this is not an easy thing. What is Joseph going to think? How does she explain that to him? I don't want to have that conversation. What, what if Joseph doesn't believe her? Her, her very life and likely, livelihood could be on the, on the line. And, and in fact, we know elsewhere that Joseph, the one she's betrothed to be married to, has in mind to separate from her quietly until an angel intervenes in his life. And Mary risks people not understanding and not knowing, and she risks maybe being shunned or shamed. And yet Mary, at the end of Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, she tells the angel, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Man, I have responded a lot worse when God has asked me a lot less. When God is, nudges me and is like, hey, I want you to have a conversation with that person, I'm like, that's awkward. I don't want to do that. I don't have time. See ya right? Have you had an experience like that? You sense the Spirit nudging you, and you're like, oh, I just, I don't want to do that. And yet Mary is going to have her whole life turned upside down, and she responds to the angel, I'm your servant. Let your word to me be fulfilled. And I think in Mary's response, we see what a heart and mind and life that's ready and receptive to receive this work of God. We see what that response looks like. Her disposition is one of a servant willing to pour her life obediently into this thing that God is calling her to. So again, I ask us this morning, are we a people whose hearts and lives are open and ready and receptive, ready to receive the work and the word of God? Let me frame this out for us. Let me read for you from Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet describes, I think, a lot of what we experience in the culture and the times in which we live. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And Isaiah uses this metaphor of light and dark. And this darkness, as Tim Keller talks about this idea, and he says, darkness often in the biblical language refers to just the evil way people live. For some, they're walking in darkness as they've rebelled against God and they've chosen to pursue a path far away from him. This darkness can also speak to our spiritual ignorance. For a lot of people, they're just ignorant to the fact that God exists and that God loves them and they live life in a place of spiritual darkness far from him. And what I think is so cool about this passage in Isaiah is Isaiah says, in that place of deep darkness, he says, a light is dawning. John chapter 1 in his gospel, he picks up on this theme and he begins to describe to us what this light is. John chapter 1 verse 9 says this. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus. It says, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 
Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God. And in the closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. This is what Advent is. That in a place of spiritual darkness, when we had rebelled against God and chosen our own path, our own plan, our own purpose, that God loved us so much, John 3.16, that he sends his Son And in John chapter 1, he describes the sending and the arrival of of Jesus. That this light that has dawned is Jesus himself coming to bring life and hope and redemption and, and truth and transformation into the lives and hearts of people. The problem is, when you look at verse 11, it says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The people of Israel had been longing and yearning and waiting for a Messiah. The history of Israel is tumultuous. At different times, they are in uh, slavery to Egypt. They are in captivity in Babylon. In the New Testament era, they are oppressed by the empire of Rome. They are not living as free people, and they are hungry and thirsty for freedom, and they are waiting for God to bring freedom for them. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and the people of Israel are not willing or ready to receive who he is and the life and the work that he's calling them to. The question again for us this morning, church, is are are we living a life in which we are open and ready to receive the work and the word that God is calling us to and wants to do in us? So here's this question, though, is when we talk about receiving, what is it that we mean? What is it that we're receiving from him? When we talk about receiving Christ, what does that mean? What, What happens in the process? And I think so much of this is fleshed out in verse 12. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, catch this, he gave the right to become children of God. Church, this is crazy. That Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, he says, you know what? You can walk up to my father and you can call him Papa too. That's mind-blowing to me, that the God of all creation, that we have rebelled against and pursued our own path, that we have wronged, that we've looked at God and said, nope, I'm going to do my own thing. That God sent his own son to die for us, that we might look at God and say, you know what, I'm, I'm your child, and because of what Jesus did, I know that I can approach you and have relationship with you. When we talk about receiving Jesus, we're talking about receiving nothing less than a work of transformation where God does this new work within us. Transformation is all about a new way of living and being in the world that, is, that is, um, comes about by God's grace. You don't become a child of God without being changed. I, I love the way it, it says this in Corinthians, that if anyone is in Christ, you've received him, you are a new creation, the old has gone, the person you used to be is no more, but you are made new. Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul elsewhere talks about how he is being renewed in knowledge in the image of his creator. In other words, Paul says, more and more, the way that I live reflects the heart and the love and the character of who Jesus is. Because to receive him, to dwell with him, to abide with him. Did you catch that John said that Jesus made his dwelling among us? God is abiding with his people. To dwell alongside him, to receive him, is to experience life change and transformation in which you are made new. Are we ready and willing to receive this ongoing work of transformation? Because it is an ongoing thing that we are continually being transformed by God's grace. What else does this mean being receptive to? 
If we're going to be receptive to this ongoing work of transformation, I think it means also being receptive to God's word of truth. Twice in this passage, John says in verse 14, he says, The Son came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17 says, The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus. So yes, we receive this work of grace that starts a process of life change and transformation of being made new, but it also means receiving the truth of God. And there's the truth revealed in Scripture, but I think God wants us to receive this truth in a personal way. What is the truth that God is speaking into your heart and your life in this Advent season? Is there something that you feel the Spirit saying, oh, we've really got to work on this? Maybe you read a passage of scripture and something sticks out to you and it gets caught in your mind and you just can't let it go and God's spirit begins to work on you saying, ah, this is something that that you need to pay attention to in your life. For me, I've been wrestling in this season with Psalm chapter one. Psalm chapter one says, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a stream planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season. And man, the Spirit has been working with me on what I'm rooted in, because I'll, I'll confess to you this morning, I am a grade A people pleaser. I worry too much about what people think about me and how they perceive me, and that sometimes is soul-crushing. And God said, listen, if you are rooted in people's perception of you, you have nothing to offer them but your own brokenness, and people do not need your brokenness. They need a redeeming Savior. And God said, listen, if you're rooted in me, you can offer them the hope of truth and life that comes only through me. Do not be rooted in your own ego. I feel the burn. What is God speaking in your heart and life? And maybe you're sitting here this morning going, honestly, I don't know. That's okay. Because what I want to talk about this morning is what are some roadblocks to that? And how do we cultivate this life of receptivity to what God is saying and speaking and doing? So yes, it means receiving truth from God in your life. I think often it also means receiving a trajectory adjustment. When you, when you read the rest of John chapter 1, in verses 35 through 50, Jesus begins to call his disciples, and he tells them, come and see. He says, follow after me. Pour your life into me. Come and see what life with me will look like. And as Jesus calls the disciples, they leave behind families, and they leave behind businesses, and they leave behind economic stability, and they go all in on this Jesus thing, but it means a trajectory shift in their life. And for some of us to receive this work of transformation, God's going to say, you need to surrender your plan and your purpose to me and trust that I will guide you in a new direction. Ah, that doesn't feel safe, but God is saying, trust me. So receiving means a word of truth that God is speaking to you. It often means a change in trajectory as we accept and receive God's path and God's plan for us. And honestly, sometimes receiving truth and a new trajectory and a new life in him also means being receptive to trials. When you read the rest of the Gospel of John in chapter 15, Jesus tells the disciples, remember, they went all in on this Jesus thing. He says, oh yeah, by the way, in John chapter 15, a lot of people are going to hate you because of this. They're not going to like you. That is the worst recruiting line ever, right? Sign me up. I would love to be hated by lots of people, especially as a people pleaser, right? Like, that's not something I want to do. But there are seasons of difficulty that God leads us through in church. If we are receptive to his truth and to his word and to his grace, that season of trial, rather than something to be survived, can be a season in which God forms and shapes and hones your character if we'll be receptive to what he might have for us in the midst of that season. So what are, what are roadblocks to receptivity? 
Because if it's about receiving, that's one thing, but it's not that easy. There's roadblocks to this process. I'm going to walk through four that I've observed. You could probably make a list of others. But when I think about roadblocks to being receptive to this work of God, the first one that I think of is familiarity. Do you ever become so familiar with something that you stop being awestruck by it? I think this can happen in a lot of arenas in life. Sometimes it happens in marriage. We get so used to and familiar with our spouse that we take them for granted and we stop being awestruck by the reality that God brought someone into our life that says, I choose you forever. Wow. And we think about Advent, we know, yeah, it's the virgin birth and we light the candles and and we unwrap presents and we become so familiar with it that we stop being awestruck by it. Let me read you this quote this morning. This is by a monk, uh, John the Monk in church history. And he's reflecting on on Christmas, and he's reflecting on Advent, and he says this. He says, wonder. He says, God is come among humanity. He who cannot be contained is contained in a womb. The timeless enters time, and great mystery. His conception is without seed. His emptying, no one can even tell of. So great is this mystery. For God emptied himself, and he takes on flesh, and is fashioned as a creature. And I love how he begins that quote. He says, wonder, exclamation point. Think about this, that the God of all creation, who is without time and without border, who is not contained in space, chose to be contained in the womb of a 16-year-old girl. And the God of all creation says, I want to dwell with you. And sometimes when we're in it for so long, we become so familiar that when we talk about Advent, we've lost the wonder and the mystery, and we assume that there's nothing left to receive there. We know it. Familiarity is a problem. Sometimes busyness is a problem. And especially around the season of Advent, it doesn't slow down it, it like double times. Because you've got the routine of life, now you've got presents to purchase, and you've got parties to go to. And you've got decorations to put up, and it just gets busier and busier, and it becomes hard to have time and space to reflect on who God is, to think about what he might be saying and speaking to us. And for some of us, if it's not familiarity or busyness, it's that sometimes God moves and speaks in ways that are beyond our expectations. And when God speaks or moves in ways that we don't expect, sometimes if if we haven't cultivated a heart of awareness and receptivity, we miss what God is doing because it wasn't what we expected. So one of the roadblocks is that the way God moves and speaks just doesn't align with our expectations. And finally, I think for some of us, we're just unaware. We've lived life with so little margin. We're always redlining in the way that we order our routine and the way we don't have any boundaries and we say yes and yes and yes to everything that we don't leave ourselves time and space to cultivate an awareness of who God is and what he's doing in our heart and life. These are roadblocks to being receptive to God during this season. So I want to talk about some practices we can cultivate. But before I get to the practices, I want to talk about this additional challenge. I think an additional challenge to receiving what God would bring is this. For some of us, we have received something different than we expected, or we have failed to receive what we hoped for, and some of us are angry with God about it. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you had hoped that you would be married and have kids and have a family started and you are still single and you're asking, God, why have I not received this from you even though I earnestly pray? 
For some of you, maybe you wanted and you longed and you hoped to have children of your own and you prayed earnestly and God didn't answer that prayer. You're saying, why? Maybe for some of you, you prayed to be married and to have a family and God answered that prayer and you have have been married and you've received that person, but it hasn't turned out to be the happy relationship that you hoped for and you're in a place of difficulty and you're going, God, this isn't what I had in mind when I prayed for this. And you can fill in the blanks with a hundred other scenarios of things that God has brought in your life that you didn't anticipate or hope for or maybe even want. And for some of us, before we can even talk about how to be receptive, we've got to open our closed, clenched fists of anger towards God. Because for some of us, we enter this Advent season and we're just, we're angry. And it's okay to be angry with God, but I don't think it's okay to stay there. So for some of us, before we can cultivate these practices of awareness, what we need to do is first confess those things before God and be honest with Him. I I love the Psalms. There's so many places where David says, how long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? And and I'm not saying that God's going to take all these things away and magically make them disappear. I'm not going to say that or promise that because I don't think it's true. But I think in these seasons when we can say, God, I'm angry and frustrated. This hasn't turned out like I hoped. If we can confess those things honestly and openly before him, I think the transforming, redeeming God, the God who says, I will dwell with you and I'm full of grace and truth, that God will meet you there and administer grace and truth in the place of your wounding. So how do we we cultivate a life of receptivity? I want to jump back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1. Let me just read this to you. Says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Did you notice verse 6? For the Lord gives wisdom. It's something he gives. And and the question is, are we open and ready and willing to receive the wisdom that God would bring? Are we open and ready to receive the work of transformation that God wants to continually unfold in our life? And wisdom and understanding are not about the acquisition of knowledge. Wisdom and understanding are about encountering the relationship with God in whom wisdom is found. This process of being open to God's wisdom and God's work is primarily a relational connection with him. So the writer of Proverbs gives us what I think are four important practices. And the first one is this, to make your spiritual life an intentional pursuit and an intentional part of your life. Notice what he says in verse 3 and 4. He says, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden truth, Now, when he talks about crying aloud for understanding, again, he's not talking about knowledge. He's talking about a relational connection with God in whom wisdom and understanding are found. So he's saying, be a person who cries out for this, who calls after this. In other words, be someone who orders your life around the spiritual reality of the way God's created us. And for so many of us, we invest our lives in so many other things that become central that our spiritual life becomes peripheral. And God says, no, switch that around. Make your spiritual life central. Let that be the thing that you call out for, cry out for, that you're searching for, and build everything else around that. And and I love this phrase. He says, search for it as for silver. Search for it as for hidden treasure. 
Now, I'm, I'm not this, but let's pretend I'm, a, I'm an expert in geology, right? And I knock on your door, say, hello, you don't know me, uh, but I'm a geologist, and I've been doing sonar studies of your backyard. And what I've discovered with 99% certainty is that there's buried treasure in your backyard. Now, if I tell you that, your response is probably going to be something like, let's get shovels, let's start digging, right? And we're going to rip through sprinkler lines and we're going to tear up the yard to find that buried treasure that's there. Because if you know it's there, we're going to find it. And I love how the writer of Proverbs says, you would seek after that thing with intensity. He says, let your search after God and the wisdom that he would bring, let it be with that kind of zeal and intensity. Let it be an intentional part of the way that we do life. I think few things of substance, if anything, no, let me, let me rephrase it. Nothing of substance happens by accident. You don't get physically fit by accident. You don't become um, educated by accident. We don't become lazy by accident. They're things that we choose to invest in. And not investing in anything is a choice to invest in something. Probably not what we want. And what the writer of Proverbs is saying is let this be the central thing that you invest in because with your relationship with God and the transformation that he brings, by that, everything else takes shape. Secondly, I think the writer of Proverbs would call us to be a people of reflection. Verse one, he says, my son, if you accept my words, notice again that language of receiving. He says, and store up my commands within you. Now commands, we see commands and we think negative. The writer of Proverbs does not see commands as negative. For him, the commands of God are the law. It's the truth that God has brought. And the commands are are a good, positive thing. And the writer of Proverbs says, store those things up within you. Think about them. Reflect on them. Mull over them. Let them become an interior part of your life and the way that you function. Third, I think the writer of Proverbs calls us to a posture of attentive listening and silence. Verse 2, he says, turn your ear to wisdom. Apply your heart to understanding. Again, there's this language of receptivity. There's this language of reflection. I love how he says, open your ear to wisdom. Now, wisdom is not just knowledge, right? Wisdom is found in relationship with God. God gives wisdom, the writer of Proverbs says. So to turn our ear to wisdom is to turn our ear to the voice of God. How are you turning your ear? How are you turning your life towards the voice of God to receive what he might bring? And finally, I think all of this happens and takes place in the context of being a people of the word and being a people of prayer. And these are practices I think we can engage in. So how do we do this practically? Let me leave you with this one practical thought. To engage in traditions, the things that you always do with an attitude of receptivity, here's what I want to challenge you with. When you do the things you've always done, Slow down, think, reflect, and pray, asking God, what would you have me receive anew and afresh in this place or in this practice? When you do what you've always done, slow down and pray and think and reflect, God, what would you have me receive anew and afresh in this place or in this practice? Now, now here's the thing I'll promise you. Life's not going to slow down. It's just speeding up. But listen, just because time seems to be speeding up and we get more and more busy doesn't mean the pace of our heart and spirit has to follow. You can be in the busyness of life, but have a heart and life that are centered and resting in peace in who Jesus is. So here's here's what I mean. On Christmas morning, when your kids rip into the presents and there's wrapping paper and bows flying, in that moment, stop. 
slow down, pray and reflect, saying, God, what would you have me receive anew and afresh in this place? On Christmas Eve, when you're wrangling the family and trying to get them in the car, and if your family's like mine, sometimes you plan these fun things, and then the kids are cranky, and you're thinking, this is Christmas fun, enjoy this, right? Get in the car. On your way to Christmas Eve candlelight service, when the kids are cranky because they haven't eaten dinner yet, and you're trying to, to, to be in this moment, stop, slow down, pray and reflect and say, God, what would you have me receive anew and afresh in this place, in this practice? And my hope is that we'll be surprised where the light and the truth of God will dawn anew in our hearts. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be gathered as the people of God. God, it is amazing to us to think that because of the arrival of your son, he says that that we have the right to be called children of God. And so, Father, in this Advent season, we, we reflect on and we remember and we give you thanks for the sending of your Son. But, God, we also give you praise and glory and honor for the right we have to be called your children, to know you, to experience life with you. And, God, this, this season around Christmas is, is so sometimes hectic and crazy and busy. But, God, you, you tell us that you are full of grace and truth. And so, God, in these moments, would would you send your grace and truth? And would we have hearts and lives that by your grace are open and receptive to this word that you would bring? And for God, for those among us who are in a place of trial, who are in a season of of maybe anger towards you, God, I pray this morning that there would be a softening of our hearts and unwillingness to open our clenched fists of anger and to acknowledge and confess freely before you where we're wounded and where we're hurt and where we're left wanting. God, in those places of raw, honest confession, may we find you there, ready and waiting to minister grace and truth. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.